Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, Wednesday, Middle Cholamari Pesach. And uh, I'm going to talk about the Haftarah that we have coming up for 7th, 8th day of Pesach, especially 8th day of Pesach. This is being uh, sponsored by Bestal Stefanski. Um, this is a, a special uh, because he has Yartse for his brother, I guess, uh, Friday. Shishal Pesach. Aryeleh Ben Yisachar Meir, who unfortunately died from. Uh, bad illness uh, 18 years ago, at the age of 40 years old, 42 years old, I'm sorry. And he tells me he was a Talmud Chachman, a businessman who was very sensitive to unfortunate people and went out of his way to do chesed. There aren't too many <laughs> successful business people that are like that, but there are some. There are some. So, uh, uh, in his uh, honor, in this chus, the Sham Chabanalia, and uh, very uh, happy to. Honor the memory with a with a, a thought or two to our Torah, <coughs> or whatever you call what I do. Uh, my attention is drawn to the Haftorahs that we see at the end, especially the last day, because uh, they're redolent with symbolism, redolent with symbolism. Uh, I'm talking about Isaiah 11, 10 and 11, Od more. The main part of it is the chapter 11 in Yeshayo. I know the chapters don't count, but nevertheless, this is how we all use them, so I'll use them for you. And uh, it's the Messianic era, okay? Uh, this is the Haftorah, the guards of Abim Keves, the lion will lie down with the lamb, it'll be Utopia. This is it. You know, this is the famous Haftorah. Uh, the question is if it's literal or not. The Rambam very famously, everybody knows this, I'm sure. If you're listening to this, most of you know it. The Ram says at the very end of the Mishnah Torah, it's not literal. Olam Kim Hagonoig, even in the time of Mashiach, lions will eat lambs. They won't lie down with them. Okay, you're not going to change anything by different. However, the Rambam says it's a mushal. And uh, what it means is the Israelis will get along with the Arabs. <laughs> I, I always say it's easier for me to believe the lion will lie down with the lamb than that the Palestinians and everybody will get along with each other, the Iranian all these kooks, but I would like to be wrong. Whatever the case is, many take it literally, and to be all kind of nisim, and you'll see changes in the natural order. I think you know this. You don't need me to tell you. The question is, why is this chosen as the Haftorah of the last day of Pesach? I don't know what they do in Israel. I th- maybe, it, probably, they do this um, for, the, for the seventh day, you know, which is the last day for them. I'm not sure. But it's redolent with symbolism because, first of all, we talk about Mashiach Tzayt, and there's a strong tradition, as we all know, Benis and Nigalub, Benis and Nisim Ligal. So it's appropriate to bring up the idea of Geula and that sort of business on Pesach, on Pesach. That's number one. Number two, you have the, uh, the idea of parallels, or perhaps the cyclical nature of Jewish history. And the idea of Nisim Ligal, Benis and Nisim Ligal means, look, we got out of it. one Gullus in, in, in this in time, so we'll get out of another Gullus in this in time. 
That's the way God operates. Many things in the Jewish calendar are kind of based on this notion that there's something in the air or something in the atmosphere associated with certain units of time. After all, for example, why do we have Yom Kippur on Yom Kippur? Because since God forgave the Jews by the Egozog, so maybe it's a good time, you know, it, there's something propitious in the air. When I say the air, I don't mean that literally, you know, in the Metzias, to make it a, a time that's uh, there for, for Slich Kapara. So, on the other hand, since Pesach is associated with so many Nisim, Nisim Gluyim, and so forth and so on, so it's a sign that, it's a, it, that it, at a time, is propitious for getting out of a goals. Okay, getting out of goals. But it goes a little more than that. Um, again, I don't have the time to go into detail and explicate Isaiah 11, although you should. I'm calling your attention to it. And those who are interested can pull out their whatever and be mine in the chapter 11 Isaiah. You know, our Haftorah, as many do, starts at the end of chapter 10, last two or three psukim, and then jumps into 11. So the whole thing of Chotor, Megeza Yishai, they'll become a somebody from the house of Jesse, who'll be a descendant of David Amel, and he'll be a superhuman individual, whether it means that literally or not, and he will, you know, be able to smell who's telling the truth. The Hiko Eretz B'Shevet Piv, he'll be able to strike the the, the, um, the earth with the power of his mouth, which means he'll be unbelievable Kaya right? A Baruch Swasa of Yavmis Russia, with the breath of his mouth, he'll slay the Russia. That doesn't mean he'll go poof like in a cartoon. It means he'll have such a powerful debor. Listen, we all know that um, the world is divided into leaders and the lead, whether we like it or not. They're the leaders and the lead. Um, you're either one group or the other. Now, there are very few leaders. To be a leader, you have to have the kaycha dibber, right? Um, you do. And you have to get people, this is what rhetoric is all about. And if you're really good at it, I mean really, really good at it, then then Hiko Eretz B'Shevet Piv. How many people in history, tyrants and all that, look, what was the Kaich of Hitler? To use an opposite example. He wasn't a physically strong guy or anything like that. He had a Kaich HaDibur. Now, I mean, for the guy, for the Germans to be specific. For the non-Germans, not. But for the Germans. And unfortunately, to tell you the truth, he had a Kaich HaDibur that appeals even today to not to submit around the world. You can't deny it. Okay? I mean, I'm sure the Arabs love to listen to his speeches. They just do. Now, that's a kayach. He used it in an evil way. The Mashiach will use it in a good way. He got Eretz B'Shevet Piv of Ruch Svas of Yamas Russia. Just by you, you know, he'll kill the the wicked. Now, if I was a Hasidic Rebbe, I'd say Ruch Piv Yamas Russia. He'll kill the Yitzhahara with the Ruch Piv. No, so he'll be such a good dibber, bala a gvaldiga a dibber that you know he'll. Uh, Kill the Yitzhar. You know the old line, do you really want to eat that? <laughs> it's got so and so many calories. It's got so and so many bad uh, chemicals in there. Once you talk like that, you kind of kill the Yitzhar. You know what I mean? Like you, 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 you used your kach adibur to make something which was appealing and enticing no longer so. So the Messianic leader will have some superpower associated with Dibur. And that's just interesting, Okay. That's interesting, but the real reason that it's uh, that Isaiah chapter eleven is used by us for the uh, Haftorah is because not simply Benison Niglu Benison Asin Ligoyel, but because we believe that there will be direct parallels between A and B. 
between the Yitzhak term on the one hand and the Mashiach Gula, the Mashiach time on the other hand. Uh, this came to my mind, you know, in Kabbalah and so forth. They read a lot about this. The Ramchal, of course, wrote a whole book called Maimar HaGeula, which I consider very dense because uh, in my mind it's very technical, Kabbalistic. I tried to read a couple times. I, you know, I'll push my way through it, but I, it ain't me. I'm not. Uh, I'm not built that way. You know, I'm not too unreligious, whatever you want to call it. But uh, you can get in English. I see here that the uh, Feldheim uh, published in English. In other words, Hebrew text with the English. Uh, it's gotten the kudos to it. Uh, I find it very unhelpful, personally. Somebody else might not. I think my friend, between name is, is putting out his own edition, or maybe he did, of the Meyer Magula, but he told me also he's not getting into the deep business. Just the basics. And the basics, to me, are very technical and boring. However, extremely technical, and you're not, I'm not, I don't have the sensitivity for that stuff. Each one of us is built the way we are, and not everybody has to be into everything. Very few people are. Uh, having said that, it's clear to anybody, including myself, from what I read and what I've seen in, in it, that he's making the case that the Gula in the future is going to parallel in many ways, I mean many, many ways, the Gula in Mitzrayim. So Pesach is, you know, um, what shall I say, a, 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 a template, you might say, just off the top of my head, and I ain't no Bucky in all this, you have the, uh, you see it's Ryan, and then you have the battle at the, uh, at Shal Pesach, right? So, what does that remind you of? The answer is, there'll be a Geula, and then there'll be Gogomogog. You know what I'm saying? The Paro attack on the Jews, and so forth, that's like a Gogomogog, which we understand to mean some kind of attack on the Jewish people, uh, after the, the, the arrival of Mashiach. You know what I'm saying? Uh, after the arrival of Mashiach. It'll be some monumental uh, struggle. And at the end, Gogomog will be wiped out. So I know it's not exactly the same way, but there are many, many parallels. So basically, what I mean to say is, why did God so arrange matters that it seems since Ryan was not the end of the story? Why didn't he simply say like this? The Jews left Egypt, they left them all busted and bleeding and with the dead firstborn. And now the Jews are out of there and the Egyptians said good riddance or bye or something like that. The way America looked at after Vietnam. They said, listen, the whole, whole episode was a bummer. It was a big mistake. It was a terrible, now let's just move on. Let's not think about it anymore. But instead, as we all know, Pyro got obsessed and chased him and ended up getting drowned in the Red Sea. Why? And you see, Hashem did it on purpose because he made him wander around and tempted Paro and so forth, as we all very well know the story. So, why is it like that? Shmami know that there's something in the Geula uh, process which has like two stages to it, which parallel the first day of Pesach and the seventh day of Pesach. You, you see, you get my point? And if I were, you know, one of these, like you say, Hasidic types that you say, and it's on the seventh day, and it's, you know, like the morale seven is the end of the natural cycle, blah, blah, blah. But the point is that you see that there's like a two-part business to this. And the Ramchal goes on that, and you therefore see, although he speaks in a very technical, Kabbalistic terms as far as I'm concerned, uh, you see that what happened to Mitzrayim is, is a kind of a template 
what's going to happen in the future. Now, how does Ramchal know that? Well, you know, there is a passage that says, and anybody who's familiar with when it's says, which is from the Gemara Brachos, so you look in there and, you know, the Chachamim say, you may, Halelos, Halelos, Mashiach, and it's supposed to be the idea that even Mashiach time, they'll still talk about, like, see some Mitzrayim, so you see some kind of connection between the Yitzis Mitzrayim on the one hand, and Gul and other. These are old rabbinic thoughts. So they're passing over by Mitzrayim, you know, old Jewish thoughts of how they viewed the future. They looked at the story of, of Yitzis Mitzrayim, as we all say, Chayavon and Lerzatz and Yitzis Mitzrayim, doesn't simply mean you use your uh, imagination to take yourself back in history in your imagination. It does mean that, but it means other things also. Chayim Lerzatz and Yitzis Mitzrayim means that you're supposed to understand the process of Israel, then apply it to present-day circumstances. Now, you never know for sure. You know, don't be a Shabtai Tzvi and just go off the deep end. You don't know for sure. But, you know, you you, you see the, the, the broad outlines. But I want to tell you this. That's because most people aren't familiar with the Haftar of this week's Parsha. I mean, on the eighth day of Pesach. Chapter 11 in Isaiah. He makes specific references to Mitzrayim, which are and it's, it's repetitive. It's, it's very, very interesting. So if you look at our Haftorah, he talks about, you know, lion will lie down with the lamb, and the, the little child will play by the, by the, by the uh, uh, serpent's nest. Shisha Yonik al Harpesen, and the baby will stretch its hand towards, uh, you know, what we would call today a, a, a poisonous snake, and nothing will happen to it, right? Because lo yore, lo yashri, all the animals will play nice. Because the land will be full with the knowledge of the Lord. You can totally see the Rambam's approach. Because what does that Pusik mean? People touch, uh, you know, uh, uh, poisonous snakes and so forth. And nothing will happen to them. Because Molar says Hashem Kamiyam Machasim. What does the fact that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord have to do with the fact that that, that snakes won't sting? You see? Elamai, it's a mushal. I'm saying, no, the Rambam isn't simply saying that. Because he's a rationalist. He's saying because he's faithful to the sense of the biblical text. You understand what I said? Look at that Pusik that we have in the Haftorah today. It says, The Pusik, I'll read it in English. A cow and a bear will graze. Meaning, usually bears eat cows. But now they'll, 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 they'll play together. And the young will lie down together and a lion will eat hay like cattle. So in other words, the lions will be nice. And a young baby will be played by the hole of a viper. And a newly weaned child will stretch his hand towards the lair of an adder, of a snake. And they will neither injure or destroy in all in my sacred mouth, because the earth will be filled with knowledge of God as the water covering the seabed. What does that got to do? What is the fact that the human race will be Moladeus Hashem, Kamiyam Mayim Chasim? What does that have to do with the fact that, that you know, that, that bees don't sting and snakes don't bite? It shouldn't. No, it's not. You can't tell me I'll be Pashup Shot. In any fashion, that that's to be understood because the people will be wiser in the ways of the Lord, that the natural order will change in terms of the behemoths, the highest rose. Elamai is a mashal, right? Since the world be filled of, with the knowledge of the Lord, so those human beings, like the Arabs and whatever, who are like snakes and adders, will play nice. That already makes sense. I'm just trying to say, you know, some people say, well, naturally the Ramam says that because he's, you know, always into spinning everything. In a rationalistic direction. 
Love Dafka. You don't give the man enough credit. He knew the Bible very well, and I'm serious about this, right? The Rambam, among other things, was a super Bukian in Tanakh. I don't think most people uh, understand that because most people will say every Rishon knew Tanakh upside down, inside out, backwards and forwards. It's not exactly true. Okay, it's not exactly true. And the Rambam, in his writings, uses the Tanakh, Tornavim and Ksubim, very interesting, very imaginatively. There's an excellent book on this subject, but it's in German, written like 120 years ago, from Wilhelm Bacher. I think it was 120 years ago. He was the big uh, scholar at the rabbinical seminary in Budapest. Uh, he was a Talmud Chacham. Very modern guy, but very good, you know, in terms of scholarship. And I think he wrote 60 books. And he knew Shas pretty well. And he has a book called um, Maimonides as Exegate, or something like that. Maimonides as a Parshan. I remember reading long, long, long ago. It was quite good how the way the Rambam, if you go through his writings, all of his writings, he uses the Tanakh very, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds supercilious to me to say that he uses the Tanakh very intelligently. I mean, who am I to say that? But you, you get what I'm saying. So anyway, it's, there's what to be ma'ayin in if you look at Tav Torah in this week's, uh, for, for this week. And then, after saying that the world will be full of peace or, or knowledge of the Lord, then it says like this. Listen closely. God will stretch out his hand a second time. What do you mean by a second time? Right? What, 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 what does it mean a, a second time? He'll show his strength again. I mean, when did he do it the first time? You'll see in a second. The first time was in Sismith Rhyme. Okay? So, those Jews are left back in, in Egypt. And as a highly suggestive verse, Yishayo was living in the time of Bayes Rishon, as you know. He's a contemporary of Chizkiyahu. Were there Jews in Egypt at that time? Or do you say, don't worry, cats, he's talking about future time, Mashiach time. So that means prophetically he's saying that what, the Jews will leave Egypt? I mean, excuse me, Jews will return back to Egypt and that it'll take the Mashiach to bring him out of there? Doesn't it sound a little bit like, I mean, I'll tell you what, look, I'm just guessing now, because this kind of stuff, all you can do is guess. It sounds to me like, you know, the Jews who, die, we say, perished in Egypt, who died in Egypt, maybe they didn't exactly die there, maybe they just got assimilated there. And um, so, in, in effect, they're dead, but really they're Jewish. And here it comes Mashiach time. Yosef Hashem Yodah Shenis Likmar Liknose Shar Amo Asher Yishar Measher Mefraim in these other places. So it sounds like there'll be Jew people there, and God will have to be kind to them. But it will require an act of divine intervention, be a supernatural intervention, to get these people who are Egyptians discovered that they're really Jewish, and they want to go back to uh, Jewish. Now he mentions places. Asher, I'll read the verse again. Yosef Hashem Shainis Yodo Liknos as Shoramo to be Kona the rest of his people. It's a very interesting language. What people? Who are Shoramo? Who's who's left over? Who who's there? We already said that the lion will lie down with the lamb and everything will be great and you know the Mashiach will be here and he'll have tremendous kachadibur and stuff like that. You know, so what does it mean Hashem will take Shoramo? You see, there will be Jews. <coughs> In the places to which they were exiled and lost, because then he 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 brackets, he juxtaposes 
Asher Yishor Me Asher Umi Mitzrayim Umi Pasters. Right? So Mitzrayim and Pasters are two parts of Egypt. Now, what do you and I know about Ashur? There are Jews there left from the ten tribes. I don't know exactly where Ashur is. Nobody does. But wherever it is, the prophet Yeshaya knows where it is, right? So wherever it is, the ten lost tribes are really hidden. You know what I'm saying. It's not as it's thousands of years now. So, of course, they're totally lost within a super Gaish identity. But then God will pull them out. That'll be part of the Messianic Acts. Uh, part of the Messianic Acts. So if it's bracketed with Ashur, then Mitzrayim and Pasras and Kush is the same thing. That there are people in Mitzrayim, they think they're Mitzrayim, but they're not, they're really Jewish. Like I said before, who knows when we say 20% left and 80% perished, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't all perish, maybe they some some died and some, you know, just elected to stay behind Egypt and lose themselves in their Egyptian identity the way it happened in 1492 when half the Jews in the country simply said we're dropping our Jewish identity. They're going to become total Goyim and they meant it. Right? These are not the Moranos. These are the people who totally, you know, became Goyish because they wanted to. And part of the Mashiach time, Messianic process, is, so I'm simply pointing out, this would be the, the background for the Kabbalists like Lutzato and the others to say the Marmagula that would happen, that'll be a thing in future. It says so in the book of Yishayo, not in the Zohar, but in the Haftorah that we're reading, okay? It says in Yishayo that Hashem will pull him out, uh, and you'll see in a minute, it'll reference the original Passover. Right? So, what does that mean? He'll raise the nace among the Goyim, a flag. So, somebody would simply like this, well, there'll be a state of Israel from one, from one and that's like raising a flag, and all the Jews will come back. Or he's talking about the Nitzch Yisrael, meaning what exactly I just told you. The Nitzch Yisrael would mean people are going who are actually Jewish, maybe from 20 generations ago, maybe 50 generations ago. I told you once, I heard the, uh, I saw an interview with the Lubavitcher Rebbe years ago, and they asked him how many Jews are in Soviet Union at that time with USSR. And you know, it was 2 million, 3 million. He said 17 million. 17 million? What the heck are you talking about? Lubavitch knows. Meaning they know who's, they can, you know, they were in the trap. This is what he said. You know, they know who the people who think they're Goyim. You know what I mean? But they know really they're, you know, the Rebbe said, like, we know really they're Jewish. Go back a couple of generations. So this is the Kibbutz Goliath. This is the side of the Kibbutz Goliath we don't really usually give thought to. Let's say the state of Israel today. I'm just making it up to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Let's say the state of Israel today uh, finally made peace with the Arabs. Let's just pretend. And uh, got back whatever land they need and stuff like that. And becomes really 100% safe there. And let's say then all the American Jews and so forth moved to Israel. So then you say, yes, well, the Mashiach time is here. That is equal to the Mashiach time. No. What our Haftar is saying today is like this. That's stage one. Stage two is now, to bring in all the lost neshamas, so to speak, from all the nations of the world. So, basically, it's going to be a funny time to Mashiach site. Why? A ton of Goyim are going to show up, and they say, what the heck am I doing over here? And they'll say, well, and you're a Jew, Jew, to, Jew monitor, you know, and you're a thing. You're actually Jewish. If you go back way back when, uh, the Mashiach will know. You get it? So, be like Hitler in reverse. Hitler knew who was Jewish back when and used it for bad. It'll be for good. 
So you could have a pope, a galach, a Putin for all I know. You get what I'm saying? Some Chinese, Chinaman guy. So whatever, it could be anything. And really, really, really to go back to being Jewish. I'm talking about Bayichas. I'm not talking about Arizal style, you know, with Neshamas and all that. That's out of my league. Just by playing Yechus. And Venosa Nes are going to be of us of Nesri Yisrael. When the Futsot Yehudi Yikabets, Marabakan for his hearts. If this is really true, Marabakan for his hearts means you're going to be pulling people from all over the place who are actually Jewish, if you see what I'm saying. That's going to be part of, of what's happening at that time. Now, the trouble is, you bring all these people in as a recipe for civil war. Because these people will not be Jewish by nature, by upbringing. They have all kinds of ideas. Therefore, it will require uh, divine intervention. That Ephraim and Yehuda, in other words, the Jews will, will get along. That's the biggest nace of all. Jews get along. And as he goes over here, he goes on to say, Hear that? In other words, I'm pointing out to you the constant references in this Messianic Haftorah to Egypt. That God will drive the tongue of the sea of Egypt. That may be referring to the Euphrates River. That's what the article translated. I think he might mean the Nile River. But again, listen very closely in the next passage. Ding! There you have it. And that basically is the end of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the prophecy. It goes on to say and all that kind of stuff. It's just poetry. But the heart of the of the future prophecy is this last verse, which says, and there will be a road for Lasharamo, Ashur. Now you can say, what road was there for the Jews when they left Egypt? There was no road. They just left Egypt. If anything, they fought plunge it. Right? So what do you mean there was no road? Road. I think it's pretty clear that he's not referring to a physical road. It'd be a path to return to Judaism. And the day he pointing out something evolving. The day beyond Haloso that's Passover. When the Jews left Egypt, a lot of Jews were, you know, as you see, they were alienated from Judaism. They didn't know nothing. And in spite of everything I just said, Hashem made it that they all got out of there and followed Moshe. So many of the people who seven weeks later were holding by the Mahmoud Hasina, you know, weren't really ready for it. They weren't from, as you'd call it today. They, they were totally forgaished. But circumstances were such, meaning Hashem made it, that they were taken out with everybody else in Egypt. Next thing you know, they're holding by Nasev and Nishma, you know, they're, they're holding at Maimar Sinai. So it'll be quite, so I, I, I would, I'm simply pointing out, and I don't want to take up too much time, so I'll conclude with this. Uh, I would submit that the proper way, on the eighth day of Pesach, for those who are listening to this, to read this prophecy, which is the Haftorah, is to think in terms of identity. And to the references here, roads back, and special paths, and divine intervention to prevent the kin of Asina, and uh, all those sorts of things they had over there. Yosef Hashem Shani's likeness of Sharamo, the Gaul Bikonda, the Sharamo, all these things. I hope I didn't skip anything here.
I hope I didn't skip anything yet. But my point is, it, they, they, they're acting as if uh, they don't have a Jewish identity. And that's exactly what will change in the Messianic era. Which is a little bit scary, because it means, sounds like it will require an act of God, Mashiach site, to sort of solve the problem of modern Jewry, which is the problem of being uncomfortable in their own skin and feeling alienated from their own identity. Um, but if that's true, then the, then the Torah really speaks to our condition today. You see? Then Isaiah is not simply, you know, imagining some uh, reenactment literally of the Pharaoh story, but speaking in a very sophisticated way. There will be a road back. <laughs> that's the point. You know, it's powerful uh, uh, words. That Pasuk, I would submit, forces you to really think through what happened on Yom Alosimir Tzitzrayim and to think how that connects with the last part of Pesach, especially how that will connect with the Mashiach time. Because again, if the Mashiach came tomorrow, what are there, 10, 15 million Jews? I mean, really, they're smaller numbers, but I'll. I'll stipulate. Let's say there are 14 million Jews in the world, something like that. So uh, the Mashiach will then take care of those 14 million Jews. Is that God's plan? I mean, what about those people who really are Jewish and don't know it? For example, the Aseris HaShavatim. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just asking. The Mashiach side has nothing to do with them, as well as the people in other countries, you know, Spain or whatever. You know what I mean? There's a ton of people really are Jewish don't know it for the last couple hundred years. They don't know it. Because you know they're living the lives of Goyim. Uh is there are they left out of the story? Or no, or is their redemption, so to speak, uh, the reconnection with Judaism as a result of divine uh, um, miracles, is that an integral part of the repetition of the of Pesach story, and uh, uh, an integral part of the Mashiach time in the future? It is a part, I think, of. Pesach story that most of us don't pay attention to, except in the broadest way. We know that Jews are holding, like they always say, Menta Shari Tuma, that's a cliche that we use. And so, okay, but what does that mean, Lamaisa? That means that there were Jews who may have been halachically Jewish in Egypt, but had zero to do with anything Jewish. Zero to do with anything Jewish. And yet they left Egypt along with everybody else. So it's a it's a lot of food for thought. I've gone a little bit long. But uh, anyway, you can see this ain't your simple, regular, everyday Haftorah. Um, and so I just want to call that to your attention, maybe take a look at it. And once again, I want to thank uh, Batsal Stefanski, who's uh, honoring the memory of his brother with this Divine Torah, uh, and the Shamashad Avonali, as I said before. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.